Uh, what's the yeah? What's the dirtiest work you've ever had to do? Piggery? Oh, gross. Why did I ask that question? <laughs> Alright, can anyone top working at a piggery? Cleaning the dishes. Cleaning the dishes. What are you eating, Ben? I don't know what's going on there. Holding a cow's uterus. Holding a cow's uterus. <laughs> <laughs> in theatre? In, in, in th you've had your hands in other people. Surely you had gloves on. Yeah, it's interesting because like, your hands underneath are super clean, but the gloves are real dirty. Uh, I'm glad you've got gloves. <laughs> you've scrubbed in well. No. Can anyone top that? Dangerous question to ask in Nag Campus. <laughs> <laughs> How's that, Will? Oh, thank you. Oh, much better. Wonderful. Uh, Alright, wonderful. Okay, well, I think we're ready, are we? Let's, uh, let's focus. Let's hear the word of the Lord. And uh, as we come to hear him speak to us, let's pray. Please pray with me. Our loving Father, thank you very much that you do indeed speak to us by your Spirit and your word. Please help us hear you clearly tonight in Matthew chapter 3 and uh, uh, produce in us fruit that is consistent with repentance. Amen. The dirtiest you've ever been. Does it match? Ali's going to show you a picture. Does it match this, this flow? You can't even see him, can you? Uh, surely a bunch of you have spent time elbow deep in cow poo, pig poo. What's worse? Is it poo or is it mud that is worse? Intestines. Intestines are worse. <laughs> I'm trying to work it out because I obviously like poo is stinky but mud sticks to you and is very visible. Uh, I know that sometimes you can, look, you can look clean on the outside but feel like this on the inside. Uh, I know that sometimes you can look clean on the outside but feel like this on the inside, your soul feels dirty sometimes. Ever feel like that? Maybe not this dirty, though. Uh, there's no washing machine for your soul, though, is there? You can't just chuck your muddy clothes in the wash. You can just chuck your muddy clothes in the wash, I should say. You can't chuck your muddy soul in the wash. Depends how dirty your clothes are, I suppose. What do you do? What's the best thing to get pig intestines out? You um, <laughs> just burn them. <laughs> uh, uh, how do you get cow poo off, Elise? What do you do? I just stains. <laughs> it just stains. You can't, you can't wash it off. You need strong stuff to wash off stubborn stains. Last year at Blokes Camp, a bunch of us slid down a very muddy hill, and I was dumb enough to do it in a white T-shirt. I haven't got those stains out yet. Um, that shirt's never properly clean. Choice.com did a, a survey of detergent, and uh, if you've got a top loader, tip for you, go for Coles... Ultra concentrate laundry capsules. Yeah, they scored at 85%. It's a high distinction. It's not bad. I'd take that, wouldn't you? Uh, water scored 41%. Just plain water. 41%. That's a fail. Water won't clean your soul. Water won't clean your clothes. Um, oh, but get this. Worse than that is uh, is is this product, True Earth Eco Stripes. Water scored 41%, this scored 40%. This is worse than water at cleaning your clothes. Worse than water and much more expensive. Now, in Matthew chapter 3 tonight, we're talking about doing the laundry. When your soul feels dirty, where do you go to wash it? What are you going to wash it with? We're going to see in Matthew chapter 3 that when your soul feels dirty, you need someone else to do the laundry for you. So Ali's going to show you where we're going tonight. 
uh, and I've seen your subject outline as well. And we'll look at John's baptism, Jesus' baptism, and then we'll watch as John baptizes Jesus. Baptisms galore. So point one, John's baptism. And uh, let our author, Matthew, introduce you to John the Baptist. He is a crazy character. He is doing and saying and wearing and eating weird things. So look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. John's telling people to repent. He's saying, um, change your mind. Turn back to God. And his reason for this is that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, the first two chapters of Matthew's biography of Jesus, we've seen Matthew over and over again present Jesus as the king, as the coming king. So the kingdom of heaven is near because the king of heaven is near. The king of heaven is near. And what John is doing is getting people ready for the king's arrival. That's how Matthew explains it for us in verse 3. Verse 3, uh, Matthew says, For he, John, is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. We read this earlier tonight. Isaiah said, A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his paths straight. John is getting people ready for Jesus. Could you imagine if Queen Elizabeth rocked up to Unichurch and no one had told us that she was coming? I think we'd be ready. What we'd need is for someone at least to come in and say, guys, your questionable fashion choices, you need to, to fix them, pop that collar down, uh, c- cut off that mullet, whatever it means. <laughs> Something. The Queen is coming. This is what John is doing for Jesus. He is preparing everyone for the King. Now, John, uh, he is a weird guy, but he is a popular guy as well. Verse 4, he dresses like a prophet and he eats like a prophet. Verse 5, everyone from everywhere is coming to see him. He is a TikTok phenomenon. And these people, they're not just fangirls. See what they're coming to do in verse 6. Chapter 3, verse 6. And they were baptised by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. They're being baptised. Uh, what do you think of when you think of baptism? Do you think of this one that Ali's going to show you? Is that what you think of when you think of baptism? A, a crying baby sprinkled with a seashell? Or is, it this, is this what you think of? Uh, all the way in or it doesn't count? Is that what you think of when you think of baptism? Uh, I don't know if John's baptising babies or not, but what I do know is that John is not baptising in a big old church building. He's, sacri- he's baptising out in the wilderness, out in a river, so it's perhaps more like this. Uh, he's out in the wilderness. Uh, that's where he's dunking them. And it's a physical bath that symbolises spiritual washing and cleansing. Uh, that's what these people think they're doing. A, a physical bath, a washing, that symbolises a spiritual washing, a spiritual cleansing that's, uh, that starts their new life. And that's why they're confessing their sins. Uh, We confessed our sins uh, not too long ago this evening, and that's just what these people are doing. They're admitting their stuff-ups, their mistakes, their hypocrisy. They are admitting that they are imperfect. And John is down at the river, and he's rather popular, 
And so the religious leaders, the political leaders of Judea come out to see what's up. Our local MP is uh, Dr. Joe McGurk, of course. Imagine he comes out to New Church just to see what's up. How would you greet him? Dr. Joe, welcome. He's a popular guy. And, well, we spent some time a few weeks ago at Reload, didn't we, thinking about how to welcome well? How do you welcome well? How does John welcome these religious and political leaders? Well, look at verse 7. When John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? You snakes. John has a go at them for not repenting. He's been telling everyone to repent. They are not repenting. If the king is coming, well, he will be angry with those who oppose him. So there is a coming wrath. And John sets out what true repentance is in verse 8. Therefore, since the king is coming, produce fruit consistent with with repentance. If you truly repent and turn to God, it will be evident. Uh, Just like you can tell a tree by its fruit. If you want to avoid the coming wrath, make sure you are the kind of tree that is producing fruit. This is what John is saying to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, Now, there's, uh, there's no way around it for them. They can't just say, right, we are God's people. We are children of Abraham. We are already sweet with God. John says, no, you can't say that. Uh, Look at verse 9. Don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. Uh, There's no way, there's no backing out of repentance for these people. The whole point of John's baptism is to wake people up. To wake people up. Don't get comfortable just because you think you're already God's children. The king is coming. Look at verse 10. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. This is what true repentance is, producing good fruit. Now, I know I've got a good zucchini plant because I get big, good zucchinis. I know that I'm living a life of repentance because the things I do are consistent with following King Jesus. This is what John is is saying for us. True repentance is turning to Jesus and following him. Now, is that the path, he says to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, is that the path you are walking down? The path that Jesus is clearing for us? Fruit consistent with repentance. I can tell you what, uh, what bad fruit is. Fruit not consistent with repentance. Fruit that is not consistent with repentance is harsh words to your parents. That's not consistent with repentance. Looking at porn, that's not consistent with repentance. Cheating on assignments, self-righteousness. This is the kind of fruit that John is warning these people about. So what is fruit consistent with repentance? What's the kind of good, tasty fruit that... John is warning these people to produce, or it could be growing in kindness, increased self-control. Maybe it could be a willingness to not have to get a high distinction on that assignment. Maybe it's the discipline to scrape a pass on that assignment. It could be the willingness to seek 
unity as a Christian fellowship family as we move to a different location, even if you'd prefer not to move. Maybe that could be it. It'll look different for each of us. I think the one thing that all of these fruits have in common is that they are not produced in us by us. They are produced in us by the Holy Spirit. Which is why John's baptism is not enough. John's baptism is not enough for us. We need Jesus' baptism. This is point two, Jesus' baptism. John baptises with water as a sign that they are spiritually washed, that they've turned away from their sin. But it's just a sign of this. John's baptism has no power to affect repentance, no power to grant forgiveness. They'll need another, in fact, a better baptism for that. They need Jesus' baptism. This is what John says in chapter 3, verse 11. Verse 11, John says, I baptise you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. I'm not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Remember that John's job is to prepare people for the coming king. And he says that this coming king is going to baptise people with the Holy Spirit and fire. What a mental image that is. Couldn't find anything on Google Images for that. Uh, let's take it in turn, then the Holy Spirit and then fire. Now, what do you think it means for Jesus to baptise with the Holy Spirit? The difference, I think, between John's baptism and Jesus' baptism is that John's baptism is a symbol of renewal. Jesus' baptism actually renews. John's baptism is a symbol of washing. Jesus' baptism actually washes. John's baptism is a a symbol of sanctification, of holiness. Jesus' baptism actually sanctifies, actually produces holiness in people. And the difference is that John baptises with water, Jesus baptises with the Holy Spirit. Water is good, as far as it goes. We drink it when we're thirsty. Uh, It's uh, 41% effective when you try and wash clothes with it. Uh, We swim in it. Great. Water is not going to clean your soul, though. Water is not going to clean your soul. There are lots of things that we do try and do to uh, clean our souls. We try and work harder. Or do you pray more? Maybe you try a sugar-free diet. Maybe you try to meditate. Maybe you see a counsellor. All to try and clean your soul. None of these things clean our souls. They're all good as far as they go. But none of these things actually produce in us fruit that is consistent with repentance. We can't wash ourselves. We need Jesus to wash us. And not with water, but with the Holy Spirit. Friends, why not let Jesus immerse you in the life-giving Holy Spirit? He will wash you clean from your sin. Remember that was uh, Jesus' job in Matthew chapter 1. I have got it on the screen for you. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. Uh, she, Mary, will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus' baptism can actually effect. 
true forgiveness and true repentance. So I think that uh, what, what John is describing to his audience, it's not being dunked in water. It's this is what you experience when you become a Christian. When you become a Christian, when you turn to Jesus for the first time and ask him to save you, to rescue you from your sin, this is what happens. He washes you with the Holy Spirit. He immerses you into the life-giving spirit. And you are forgiven. Uh, but it's not just the spirit that Jesus baptises with, according to John. It's also fire. Jesus also baptises with fire. That's verse 11. Uh, uh, he's already mentioned fire a few times, hasn't he? If you were dodging a tree, you could be thrown into the fire. That's what John has told the, uh, the religious leaders who have come to see him. And in verse 12, uh, he expands a bit more. So look at verse 12. Uh, speaking of Jesus, John says, His winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with fire that never goes out. John's describing Jesus like a farmer, like this, with a pitchfork. Here we go. Uh, I think they teach you how to use these in Thurgiag. <laughs> I haven't yet. Have you got time? Uh, what John is describing Jesus is doing is, this next slide, is doing, uh, describing this. Uh, they're threshing the, the grain. They're separating the grain, the good stuff, from the chaff, the, the useless stuff. And uh, John describes Jesus taking the grain off to the barn and burning the chaff, burning it with fire. And what does it mean for Jesus to baptise with fire? Well, remember that uh, we're talking about a washing, a cleansing. So I think that this is a cleansing fire, a purifying fire. When Jesus comes, he will burn away evil. This is what John is saying. If you are a Christian, if you have been uh, baptised by the Holy Spirit and fire, ex expect for the Spirit to burn away evil that is within you. When Jesus comes, he burns away evil and he, he does so within you. Expect him to throw your selfishness into the flames. Expect him to throw your lust into the flames. Expect him to throw your greed and your self-righteousness and your anger into the flames and burn them away from you. This, I think this is the flip side of repentance. This is what it means to live the Christian life. A life of repentance is a life transformed by the Holy Spirit as he burns away your sin and produces the good fruit of repentance within you. This is the grace that I need to be given because I know that I don't have it within myself to produce this kind of fruit. I don't have it within myself to, to perfect myself. I'm, uh, I'm into my 30s now. I'm getting old. And it's taken me this long to realise that repentance is a slow process. I want to see more growth. I want to see more fruit. I want to see more change in my life. Oh, but it is slow going. The Spirit works in his own time, not in your time. And so, friends, don't despair if you, if you don't see in yourself fruit in keeping with repentance. Because if you have been immersed in the life-giving spirit by, by the Lord Jesus, that spirit is working in you today to produce repentance and fruit. That's what he's doing. So praise the Lord.
for that gift of the Spirit. And it's as Jesus himself is baptised by John that we see how Jesus is able to baptise us with the Spirit. So this is point three. John baptises Jesus. This is how Jesus is able to baptise us with the Spirit. John's been in the wilderness. He's drawn a big crowd, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They've come to see what's up. John's had a massive rant at them. And now Jesus comes as well. Uh, verse 13. Have a look at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptised by him. Uh, John's been preparing the way for Jesus, King Jesus, to come. Now Jesus is here. So surely Jesus doesn't need to be baptised, does he? Or verse 14. Uh, but John tried to stop him, saying, No, I need to be baptised by you, and yet you come to me. But Jesus insists, verse 15, Jesus answered him, Allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfil all righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptised. So it's been a bit of an awkward exchange, isn't it? But Jesus is baptised by John with water. And it probably looks something like this. Ali's got a picture for you. What it probably looks something like that. Well, they probably looked more Palestinian, I suppose. Uh, and I don't think they walked around with those things on their heads. But this is roughly what it looks like. Hear what happens when Jesus is baptised. This is what's depicted in this image. Verse 16. When Jesus was baptised, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, this is a, this is a massive moment in this biography of Jesus. It's uh, a key way that Matthew is showing us who Jesus is. First notice that Jesus sees the Holy Spirit descending from the heavens like a dove. Um, like a dove. He doesn't see a dove like in this picture. Uh, it's not an actual dove, it's like a dove. It's called a simile. Any art students in the room? Anyone? Yes, thank you. It's a simile. Like a dove descends, so too does the Spirit descend on Jesus. This is how, this is how Jesus can baptise with the Spirit because unlike John, Jesus has the Spirit. John has water, Jesus has the Spirit. We've got to be careful with our words here because Matthew is also showing us the triune God. Uh, in the, the creed we confessed earlier tonight, we confess that we believe in one God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And here he is. Here he is in the text. One God, Father, Son, and Spirit. We see the Son with the Spirit. And we hear the Father. These aren't three gods. This is one God. But there's three persons in one God, and we see them all in this scene, Father, Son, and Spirit. So don't, uh, don't think that we're watching Jesus finally get the Spirit. Uh, no, he is already one God with the Spirit and the Father. The point to make here is that this is why it is effective when Jesus baptises you with the Spirit and with fire. This is why it is effective, because he is God. Because Jesus is God. Because we need his divine, divine grace and divine power to wash us. And this is what we see here. It is effective. 
So do you want to grow as a Christian on campus this year? Well, what do you need to do? I guess you just need to watch the Spirit transform you. And uh, if you haven't been baptised by water, let me invite you to be baptised at Union Church after Easter. As we're baptised by water uh, in church, it's a, a sign of washing and renewal, a sign that points us to the reality of the baptism of <laughs> the baptism by Jesus uh, with spirit and fire that affects true repentance and change and forgiveness. As we are baptized by water, it's a sign of a true spiritual reality that we see here in uh, Matthew chapter 3. So friends, if you've got questions about being baptised at Uni Church, ask me afterwards. If you've got questions about Matthew chapter 3 or about baptism in general, well, uh, after I pray, we'll do question time and you'll have a chance to ask them. So let me pray for us and thank God for his grace to us and uh, then we'll, uh, we'll do some questions. Let me pray. Thank you, loving Father, for your grace and mercy to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who baptises with the Holy Spirit and with purifying fire. Please, Father, by your Spirit, produce in us fruit that is consistent with repentance. Please wash us clean from sin. And please empower us to follow Jesus, our King. Amen. Friends, each week at uh, Uni Church, uh, we do your question time after the sermon. Uh, if you don't, uh, normally you can just stick your hand up and ask. If you haven't quite got that question formulated or you don't want to do that, you can scan this QR code and uh, it takes you to a, a, a... We don't collect these communication cards anymore. Because of COVID, we do them digitally. So it'll take you to that. If you'd like to leave your details, maybe phone number or something like that, then that's the way you can do it. And uh, you can also ask a question through that and I'll get back to you during the week. Uh, but for now, if you've got a question, stick your hand up and I'll let you go. Why is there a debate between infant baptism and adult baptism? And is there one in who is correct? Thanks, Nat. Uh, why is there... So, uh, should you baptise people when they're babies? Or should you wait until they're grown up and can say, and, and can say yes, I want to follow Jesus? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> why is there a debate? Because, uh, because the Bible doesn't give us an explicit instruction about when you should baptise someone. It just describes baptism. And, uh, uh, and people are allowed to understand the scriptures differently. That's why there is a debate. Which one is correct? I'm not sure. I don't really mind. Uh, my children are not baptised. That is mainly because m my wife was baptised as a baby, like a good Anglican. <laughs> And then she was confirmed when she was like 11. And uh, she, that was a bad experience for her. Uh, when she was uh, like a late teenager, she wanted to be baptised again. But that's not allowed. Once you're baptised, you're baptised. Uh, so that's why our children aren't baptised, because we would like them to at least remember it. Uh, I think that's powerful. If you can remember being baptised, it's a testimony to you of your confession of faith in the Lord Jesus. 
that can be, a, that can be, that can be powerful. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care if people baptise their children or not. If someone asks me to baptise their baby, <laughs> I don't see any babies here, so I never really had to cross that bridge at uni church. But... Let me just say, it wouldn't be a deal breaker for me. I, I would be Anglican if I had to, or I would be Baptist if I had to. It doesn't matter. So, sorry, I'm just going to sit on the fence there and not come down either way. But, so, yeah, it's a great question. <laughs> All right, uh, uh, yes, Karen? Um, the Jews seem to know what John's all about. Like, John's baptising and they're like, yeah, we want to get in on this. Is there baptism that we see in the Old Testament? Or is this a thing that John mm. has made up? Like, where? <laughs> like, I can't remember yeah. baptism in the Old Testament. No, uh, is there baptism in the Old Testament? How do these people coming to John know what the deal is? I don't know how they know what the deal is, but I, you're right, Karis, that uh, baptism isn't really a Jewish practice. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not totally sure, and commentators don't seem to know exactly how it got to this point, but by the first century, uh, which is uh, when John is alive, it's a relatively common practice in religions all across the world to have some sort of rite of initiation, uh, a washing, uh, something like that. And so at uh, the temple in Jerusalem, there are ruins of ceremonial washing pools. Uh, so it seemed to have been practiced somehow. Um, uh, but it's definitely a Christian thing, not a, not a Jewish... Most Christian things are Jewish things, but this one is a uniquely Christian thing. Um, but in the Roman world, everyone's, everyone's washing as a kind of a, a, a way into a religion, uh, but also as a, a symbol of washing... Uh, I thought I saw another hand, yes. So you were just saying before that, once baptized, you're baptized as a matter of the care as an adult. Why can't you be baptized a second time? Oh, why can't you be baptized a second time? Oh, I've opened a can of worms, haven't I? <laughs> uh, why can't you be baptized a second time? Because baptism uh, works. Uh, if you're a baby or if you're an adult, uh, it works. And... Um, uh, it doesn't work because, so uh, this was a story uh, in the last couple of months, there was a Catholic priest somewhere who said one wrong word as he baptised people for many years, and um, those baptisms are all invalid, according to the Roman Catholic Church, uh, because uh, in Roman Catholic theology, the, uh, the person doing the baptism matters, things like that matter. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that that's true. I think that baptism works regardless. It doesn't matter if I do it, uh, or if Ali does it, or if Ben does it, I think. Um, uh, because what baptism is, if I splash you with water, uh, that's a sign of something that is real. Uh, your, your washing, uh, in Romans 6, Paul describes it as when you are baptised, when you're baptised, you go under the water with Jesus. Uh, like, uh, like Jesus was buried in the tomb, so going under the water is like being buried with Jesus. And when, as Jesus rose again out of the tomb, coming up out of the water is like being risen to new life. Uh, that's what it, it is a sign of. It's a symbol of. Um, if, if you're going to get re-baptised, to be baptised again uh, is kind of saying, like, I need to die again and be raised with Jesus again. It's uh, uh, calling into question all sorts of... The, it's calling into question the work of Christ. Was the cross effective when Jesus died and rose again? Do I need to keep 
Do I need to keep repeating that? Do I need to keep being washed? Uh, the answer is no. You are washed by Jesus, <laughs> by the Spirit of fire. Water baptism is a sign of that. Jesus has washed you, Jesus has washed you once. Uh, the church should wash you once. If you have more questions on that, come up and talk to me afterwards. I'm going to go one more question, and it's going to be Ben. Yeah. Um, I was just wondering, when Jesus gets baptised, um, he says he's got to do it to fulfil all righteousness. And I might have kind of missed your explanation because we had a <laughs> problem, but, yeah, why? Like, what righteousness is he fulfilling? Yeah, Jesus, Jesus comes to be baptised. John says, no way, man. Jesus says... Allow it for now because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Um, you didn't miss an explanation. I didn't explain it. Uh, what does Jesus mean? Why is Jesus being baptised? What does it mean to fulfill all righteousness? I'm not really sure, to be honest. Um, uh, because, uh, uh, as Karis was asking, it's not an Old Testament thing. It's not according to the Old Testament law that you have to be baptised. Uh, uh, I suspect what is happening is... Well, so. Jesus doesn't need to be baptised. He doesn't need to confess his sins. Because it, uh, one of the things we uh, believe strongly about Jesus is that he did not sin. So he doesn't have something to confess. He doesn't have something to be washed from. So what on earth is Jesus doing being baptised? Here's my, here's my understanding. Um, I think Matthew presents Jesus as kind of summing up all of Israel in himself. He's redoing Israel's story. All of us are in Jesus when he is baptised. Uh, which kind of means that all of us in Jesus are baptised by John. All of us in Jesus receive this sign of washing. It's almost like Jesus is being baptised on our behalf. I think that's what's happening. To fulfil all righteousness, I'm not really sure what you mean, but at the very least he's saying this is the right thing to do. And I suspect it's for that reason that he is representing us being watched. That's a good question and uh, uh, keep reading the commentaries and you'll find a couple of different answers but they don't seem to know either. Alright, we're going to call it there. Um, some uh, curly questions, thank you. Uh, and uh, what we'll do now is respond to God's word to us by singing together. So please stand and we'll sing.